Greetings and hello, it's Carrie here from Fertile Body Yoga. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to read some of my blog posts. So for those of you who aren't sitting in front of a computer, you can also enjoy um, some of the wisdom and support that these blog posts have to offer. Maybe in the future, I'll have some guests. Who knows? Thanks for listening. Oh, all right. Okay, so today I have with me one of my most favorite humans in the world, Heather Smith, and she's an acupuncturist, an amazing acupuncturist um, who does specialize in reproductive health, but also other other avenues for acupuncture. And she is also a massage therapist, a Reiki master. She does cranial sacral therapy. So she really has a lot of gifts um, that she shares with so many mm-hmm. people. So thank you for doing all the things that you do. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, you work out of the Boston area. So if anybody's That's listening right. from Boston, you know where to go for your acupuncture. Um So we're going to talk today about endometriosis. So I wanted to have Heather on to talk about this. Not only is it endometriosis awareness month, right? Um, But I know that it is a topic that you know a lot about, that you've treated um, on others and yourself and as well have years of experience researching and understanding what endometriosis is. So without further ado, (laughs) I am going to let you, um, if you want to say anything else about yourself or intro, that's great. Um, But otherwise, maybe you can start with what endometriosis is. So sure. So um, I'm I'm an endo warrior myself, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So of course, I definitely I feel like this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, but um, what we know about endometriosis is that it is the presence of tissue that is somewhat like the endometrium or lining of the uterus that's located outside of the uterus itself. Um, But I think it's important to make this distinction that the structure and the way that the tissue behaves is different than the way that the the tissue in the endometrium behaves. Um, so, and, and, and although it's really common for people to have endometriosis in the pelvic region, you can have it anywhere in the body. It can, I've, I've even worked with patients who have had it in like the liver, um, and lungs. So those are just some, th- you know, it can be anywhere, unfortunately. No, it travels. Mm-hmm. It, it travels. travels or it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And then we were talking about this before we, mm-hmm started recording about the name endometriosis. Do you want mm-hmm. to touch on that about how it's kind of a misnomer in a way, or it's yeah. using so, the I matter? Mean, I think there's a, a lot of people in the, um, not a lot, but there's some of us in the endometriosis community who are going, geez, I don't know, maybe the fact that we're calling it endometriosis is getting in the way of diagnosis and getting in the way of, um, you know, people getting treatment. So, um, you know, 
we don't know what causes endometriosis. And I think that's part of the problem. So a lot of, you know, we were talking about this too, that doctors for years were operating under the assumption that it was retrograde menstruation. So the idea was you would have your period and the, you know, the blood would go up in it and out the fallopian tubes and into the abdomen and just like take up residence somewhere and proliferate and cause pain. And that's still some people are operating on that assumption or on that theory, because it's really a theory. Um, mm-hmm. And so that leads to misinformation where people think that if you just have a hysterectomy, it's curative, that that's going to take care of it. You're not going to have any more problems if you have a hysterectomy. And unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case. So, um, you know, now we're looking at theories around, well, could it be congenital? Like you're born with the tissue somewhere in your body and then you hit puberty and then it starts to do its thing and cause pain and and cause problems for people. There might be an autoimmune component to it. So is calling it endometriosis saying that, you know, endo meaning like inside metriosis, meaning like mother, like, does that cause a problem with getting proper treatment and diagnosis because we're only looking at that piece and only looking in the lower abdomen. So, right. right. And I, we don't necessarily need to go into the patriarchy on this one, right? right. but, or maybe we should, because <laughs> I, I do think like, I see it all the time. Like if men had endometriosis, there would have been right. something done about this years ago because they can't do right. as well. Right. Right. Um, so I, you know, that I think also feeds into it a little bit, right? Right. Like, right. The fact that like, we talked about this too, that there's like some, there are some cases that there are men that have had endometriosis or have it. Yeah. Um, it's rare and uncommon or assigned male at birth, I guess. Right. Um, so yeah. Um, so it's just really considered a woman's issue right right we know how that's going these days so right um (laughs) I'm hoping that uh oh yes women we need to come together um okay so do you want to tell us a little bit about your story because I think it will help people um perhaps a light bulb go off in their head go like oh well hey that sounds like me or Hmm, I've always wondered if maybe I have endo and I just never got it checked out. How can we check for it? Things like that. Would you? Sure. Your stories. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I started having pain with my periods very early on. I, I started menstruating at like age 11, I think around probably age 13, I started having pain and it was to the point where I would pass out. Sometimes I would be you know, hunched over in bed with a heating pad, just crying because I could not function. I missed out on so many fun things as a teenager because of my period, essentially. And, um, you know, we'd go to the doctor because I was in so much pain and they didn't have any good answers. They put me on birth control and that did stop the pain, you know, momentarily, but it didn't go to the root of disease and, and help. 
Um, and then, right. and you know, when a I, good, that's a good point too, right? Cause they do prescribe birth control often for endometriosis and people are like, Oh, I feel better, but it's not dealing with the root cause of your pain. So you're right. masking it and then doing all the hormonal fluctuations. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, and no, no, it's, it's important. Um, you know, the, the, the downside to birth control for me was that it actually caused me to have significant depression issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got into my twenties, I was like, gosh, you know, I just kind of want to go off of this and, you know, see how I do and see if, you know, this helps the, the, the depression and it made a huge difference. Now I know a lot of people don't have that issue when they're on birth control and that's great, but it, you know, it was just kind of sad that that caused such a significant problem for me mm-hmm. all through like college and like get out of college and finally like, no, I want to stop taking this. So I stopped doing birth control. Of course, that means now pain is back and mm-hmm. significant. So I started taking NSAIDs and I'd go to my doctor and I'd say, okay, I mean, I'm taking ibuprofen and um, it's not really helping. It, it maybe takes it down a notch, but it's not really doing much. Um, so I, I took so much ibuprofen that I actually gave myself ulcers and like, you know, burned holes through my stomach, basically my stomach lining. You didn't know I, that. Yeah. Well, good times. Yeah, yeah, ibuprofen just... sometimes it's considered because they're like, sometimes candy coated it's like yes i'm just taking i'm just taking a candy pill here yeah there are some significant and like blood pressure not great for people with high blood pressure and things like that kind of ignore but okay i didn't know that oh yeah oh my you must have been i mean it was oh yeah i was taking significant amounts to try to like get through the days um at that time and then um in my late 20s i um my, my husband and I were like, okay, we're going to start trying to conceive in the sense of, we were just like, we're going to like, just not worry about using protection. Right. And then, but my periods were so awful. My husband's like, can we just like go to your OBGYN and just sit down with her and just like, there's gotta be something that we can do. Right. Mm -hmm. So we go to see her and she says, well, you guys are trying, not trying. Let's just get you pregnant sooner. Like, that's what we'll do. And that time I was like 30 by that time, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and so, um, so they ended up diagnosing us with unexplained infertility. I have, mm-hmm. I, I also have polycystic ovary syndrome. So we knew that from my like early twenties. And we'll do another um, podcast about yeah. that because that's, <laughs> Isn't there a PCOS awareness month too? Somewhere? Oh yes, there is. Yes, there is. Okay, well, we'll do it for that. <laughs> I'll just wear my teal and yellow all the time for yes. all the, and, and some orange too for infertility, right? <laughs> but, um, so, you know, she's like, well, let's just get you pregnant sooner. You know, you guys just really, you know, try. And if like that doesn't work, then, uh, so we, we did see a specialist and we did some IUIs and I was like, well, aren't we going to, you know, look into this like is there nothing else that we can do to help I came here, here to talk about my periods not right right yeah not necessarily get, get pregnant, pregnant. Yeah. so I mean and that that was like a whole journey so I'm like 31 32 you know it's time's ticking on um I ended up starting acupuncture school because I was like I was like well I'll wait to start acupuncture school till I'm pregnant right because that's 
put everything off until we get mm-hmm. through the fertility. Yeah. We're right. Familiar with that. <laughs> uh, so I got through, went through acupuncture school um, and, you know, acupuncture definitely helped manage pain symptoms really well. Got pregnant with my son. And then after I stopped breastfeeding him, which, you know, he's my, he's my miracle baby. But after I stopped breastfeeding him, my endometriosis got worse. And I know that sounds like, how is that even possible? Like labor was nothing compared to my periods. Just to give you an idea. My doula was like, wait, you're not like in pain. Like like, this is normal. (laughs) I was like, this is, what are you talking about? This doesn't even feel like a bad period. Like what's up? You know, this is right. Just, you know, yeah, that's crazy. That's just to put it in perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, so, you know, my, my, my pain got worse. Um, I finally went to an OBGYN that did a pelvic ultrasound. They saw an endometrioma, which is one of the few things that you can see on mm. ultrasound. Um, otherwise it's very hard to get diagnosed with endometriosis. So, um, so here I am like what 40, yeah, I'm like 40 now. And, uh, finally had surgery to remove the endometrioma and to go in and, and take out all the endometriosis lesions. And it was like all over my pelvic floor and all over pelvis, all over my left hip. That was interesting. I used to have my left, left hip give out on me when I was in. So it was like over towards my left hip. Um, well, I remember we met once at a playground. And you couldn't even walk. Like you were in, so, you were in so much pain. I I remember that. I was like, whoa, like this is serious yeah. business. And that was yeah. right before you got your operation. Yeah. You were waiting to get it done. And yeah. I think, did you get in early too? I was on the cancellation list and okay. I got in and that was, it was very lucky because otherwise I was going to have to wait like 10 months. And I even thought, you know, at that point, because I had the endometrioma and it was, you know, getting bigger and, you know, it just was, it was compressing on things. It was just really, really uncomfortable. So, um, and then, you know, that sort of forced me to learn a lot about endometriosis. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I really lucked out that I found my surgeon, at the Resolve New England conference that he happened to be a Nancy's Nook doctor and that he does excision surgery, which is considered superior to ablation. And the difference is that with excision surgery, they actually go in and they excise the like margins of the tissue. They take the tissue out, they send it to pathology. Um, And so, you know, I actually got like a pathology report where they Mm -hmm. looked at the histology of all the tissue and confirmed what was endometriosis, what was not. Um, and then, you know, with ablation, they just go in with a laser and just kind of like hit it. Yeah. They just go, Oh, there's something that looks like it. Um, Burn it it down. Yes. Burn it down. So, (laughs) and yeah. So that's kind of, that's 27 year journey right there. And and, (laughs) and the the average time for diagnosis, I think is 10 or 11 years. So, wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah. wow, 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 wow. Um, wow. I have no other word at the second. So that's a long time. So, so let's, 
<laughs> to be like in pain like it's just yeah I mean I always think about that like this the the amount of pain or or discomfort that we become accustomed to right and we just kind of suck up and take I don't know or not suck up and take but like we learn to live with it let's say that right um okay so I want to know then for anybody's listening if there's Mm -hmm. you know you said it's hard to diagnose um I know that they're coming out with some new ways to at least sort of like inch it towards finding a way to diagnose um some signs and symptoms so if someone's listening they're like I wonder if I have endometriosis right beyond I have pain during my period and it and it can be like varying degrees of pain too like right absolutely extreme like you huddled over not unable right. to do anything to like would you say like I don't want to say normal period pain because nor preferably well, there would be none yeah. but like right um that you know I feel a little crampy I'm about to get my period kind of like changing happening discomfort Right. Um, so if someone has like non-painful periods or like just mildly painful periods, um, is there still a chance there could be endo as well? Yes. Yeah, so there's a thing called silent endometriosis and you didn't know about this. So silent endometriosis means you don't have any pain, but it could actually impact things like fertility. So the staging of endometriosis is actually done by the, the, like it's off of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. So it really looks at fertility as opposed to pain or symptoms that people might have. Okay. Um, so somebody who has like stage three or four would have something like an endometrioma um, because it's, it, it's in, impacting the ovary itself, okay. you know, right. And, and, you know, they might have like deep infiltrating endometriosis, which just like really really not awesome, but there are people who may have things like unexplained infertility and, um, maybe having issues with implantation failure and that kind of stuff who, um, could not, not know that they have endometriosis. They might just think like, well, I just have mild cramping during my period. Cause it's not just the uterus, right? We're talking about, it's all over. So you could yeah. have it like all over the abdomen and or not like your ribs it. hurt sometimes, you know, you're like, right. Oh, it's like hard to breathe. Yeah whatever, right. like that could be endometriosis and you have no period pain. Right. Right. So it's, um, so you could have pain during any time of the menstrual cycle and including like during around ovulation. Um, it can happen at any point. Some people will have painful intercourse. So that's a sign that you want to look for. I generally think that it's important for people like get an old school paper calendar and just sit down and track symptoms. So like, I like the little ones. I tell people take one of those, put it in your pocketbook. I'm going to sound like my grandma now, but like, you, you know, put it in your pocketbook. I mean, I know I have a lot of like younger people who use their phones and that's fine, but yeah. I, I think sometimes it's hard to like pull the app up and then go in there and track the symptom. Like everybody's different. Find what works for you, mm-hmm. but look at things like you know, the level of pain, where is the pain located? Um, you know, did you have to take some type of medication? When is it in your cycle? Like if you're looking at days, that's why I think the calendar is nice. Cause you can go, okay. On, you know, March 22nd, I was actually, you know, not on my period, 
but I had like this really horrible sharp pain that lasted for two hours on my left side and my lower abdomen, you know, that's, that, that's something that is, you know, could be mental schmerz. Maybe you are having that good old uh, mid-cycle pain, but you know, if it's really sharp and incapacitate you for a few minutes, that's not okay. Or two hours, you know, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. So um, looking at, you know, were you able, did you have to skip things throughout your life? Like, did you miss school, work, um, activities that you enjoy? It's important, I think, to track those, not just pain. You know, I, it's, you know, it can cause fatigue. There's so much other stuff that goes along with mm-hmm. having a, a chronic condition like endometriosis. So I think having that and you just like, gosh, I don't know, let's track all these things, bring that to your doctor. You can sit down with them and you can have a good discussion. Um, you know, before I met with my surgeon, yes, we knew we had the endometrioma. So we, we definitely knew that I had, you know, endometriosis at that point, even mm-hmm. though the gold standard is laparoscopic surgery to actually see it surgically. Um, like we've got that, we know, but being able to sit down with him and say, well, I have pain here, 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 and here. He goes, well, I know where I'm going to be looking when I go in to do surgery. And that will help me be more thorough and to, to make sure I don't miss any areas. Um, you know, I had, I had food sensitivity issues. I I mean, it turns out I actually have celiac disease as well, but, um, (laughs) I know, he did find endometriosis around a portion of my bowel that he associates with food sensitivities. So, you know, that's, you hate to just be like, Oh, I am gluten intolerant. And then find out, well, it's maybe the inflammatory aspects of the foods that you're eating that are causing the problem, uh, um, you know, making the endometriosis worse kind of deal. So, um, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, there's so many things that, crossed through my mind. Okay. So yeah. it's hard to diagnose number one, right? Right. Um, well, it's yeah. Cause it's it, right now, the only way that we have to diagnose is surgical and that yeah. is not many people want to sign up for that. I probably no. could have done that years ago, but did not want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so sure. I mean, it disrupts life it's oh yeah it's and it's expensive i mean we're in america so you right. know don't have great health insurance but you're still paying deductibles mm-hmm. things out of pocket stuff um okay so what you were talking about this receptiva test you want to talk about that or oh yeah so i mean this is kind of newer. Um, but it basically they do, um, an endometrial biopsy. They go in and they take a little sample and they send it off and they can look for this BCL six, uh, marker. And if you have that, that's a sign of inflammation in the uterus and they can utilize that to help people right now. I think it's mostly being used in, in folks who are using like assisted reproductive technology to conceive. Um, and it, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty promising, I think, cause that wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice if somebody could just have this, that's such an outpatient quick mm-hmm. thing to have an endometrial biopsy. It's not pleasant to have an endometrial biopsy, but no. it's, it's a lot faster than having 
surgery and mm-hmm. there's, you know, no real downtime or anything in comparison. Um, yeah. But, and they often the, do, I mean, they're, you know, when you're doing fertility treatment, there's a lot of poking around down there. And oh yeah. Grabbing yeah, this lots, and moving this lot, and doing yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, lots of dates with like Wanda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> lots of dates with Wanda. But you go like, like, I feel like it's something that could be done while other things were right or you're like you're already in there right I mean yes it sucks and taking a chunk of you know your endometrial (laughs) tissue out of your uterus but um but the results can be so helpful right so I mean that's kind of exciting the you know the downside to it I believe it's an out-of-pocket cost right now so I I don't yeah because it's not you know I think there's only the one company that does it and um, I don't know that it's being used for endometriosis diagnosis right now. So, um, but it's promising Promising. to know that that exists and that there's, um, something else potentially out there that could lead to more people being diagnosed sooner than 10 or 11 years or 27 in my case. So, yeah. (laughs) Or like. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Just faster, please. Can we? Yes. Right. Yes. Um, yes. so I know we talked on it a little bit. So yeah. you mentioned Nancy's Nook and there's another website too, that has like good quality resources. If you think you might have endometriosis or you just want to learn more or right. research about perhaps we'll talk a little bit more about the fertility piece, but, um, tell me about Nancy's Nook. So Nancy's Nook was created by a nurse who had endometriosis and it is, uh, they now have a website. It used to just be a Facebook group that was like a learning library, but it's a resource. It just gives lots of information, um, links to like research studies. It's a place where you can find doctors who are vetted by people who have endometriosis, um, there's another resource that, that has come up called I Care Better, and that's another one for looking for surgeons specifically. And okay. that one, I believe they have to submit like a video of a surgery that they've done to be reviewed by other wow. endometriosis surgeons. So okay. it's there's still not a ton of doctors on there because I'm sure they have to pay for that, but yeah. um it's, it's another promising resource. Um, the endometriosis summit is a really great resource as well. Endofound, which is like the foundation for endometriosis is another good resource. So, um, I can send you, send you some more as well, Carrie, so you can post them for people. Yes. I love it when podcasters say that. I'll drop it in the show notes. Um, so, okay. So there's that. So there is some good solid information out there to explore. Um, So now I want to talk about, let's just a little bit more about subfertility, infertility, and unexplained infertility. Because I know there's some statistics flying around and I, I know I work with so many students who have unexplained and it's kind of this catch-all like well we don't know so we'll call it unexplained um 
but often there's things happening that aren't being looked for by REs or reproductive endocrinologists, right? Like it's not their wheelhouse to be diagnosing or looking for endometriosis. So their wheelhouse is get you pregnant as fast as possible. I love fertility doctors. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like poo-pooing on them, but like sometimes it's just about the race to baby. Right. Um, And like, not that they have a God complex, but like there's this like, well, we're going to be controlling this and controlling that and controlling this and this and this. So like, it doesn't matter if your body's all messed up because we're going to be doing our magic and then boom, you're going to have a baby. So, and right. But that, that embryo is going back into the body right? (laughs) and trying to implant into the uterine endometrial tissue. It was a mouthful. Um, So what are your (laughs) thoughts? What are your thoughts? I mean, so I think that there are probably with the fact there are so many people who are undiagnosed, remain undiagnosed with endometriosis. I'm sure that there are a huge group of people who are in the unexplained category who likely have endometriosis. I know we were just um, kind of perusing some quick statistics beforehand, but, you know, I've heard things, uh, you know, from some doctors that up to 50% of, you know, some people who are unexplained have endometriosis. And then we were looking, there's 20 to 40%, even if it's 20%, that's still a lot of people that need to be evaluated and need access to proper care and testing, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, there's definitely been some interesting research that's come out in the last couple of years looking at how proper excision surgery helps with, you know, conception and, or doing additional protocols with medications um, to sort of really, really flatline hormones before mm-hmm. building up for transfer that are very interesting and very promising. But if we don't know if somebody has that, we're not going to be exploring those venues. And then they're just going to be dealing with, you know, recurrent implantation failure or miscarriages or, you know, any number of other cases that, uh, I mean, it's heartbreaking to be dealing with infertility. Mm -hmm. So, and it's an even more heartbreaking to think that some of those folks could be helped but just aren't getting the help that they need yes absolutely and it's not also to say that like oh you have endometriosis and you get incision surgery that it's going to miraculously result oh, you know. in um like successful IVF round next round or whatever right like, right not to say that but as we yeah. know fertility is so complicated with so many variables and so much moving parts and puzzle pieces like it could be a huge part of it that you know once it's removed other things can start to fall into place I guess is right the way I think of it Um, but I do know many students who have had had the incision surgery healed from it and you know their next IVF round was successful even though they had many failed cycles so um yeah, fertility. So complicated. It is. I mean, my surgeon, 
we've talked about this too, that my surgeon says that endometriosis does not cause infertility. He says that it's, it's subfertility. So it's just more difficult for people to conceive, but not impossible. Right. Um, You got pregnant when you were like in the thick of it. But I know that you accredit a lot of your management with acupuncture. So I also wanted to talk on that because you are an acupuncturist, (laughs) but this idea that there are things beyond the medical realm, like popping in and you know, getting an operation that can't happen for you for so many different reasons in life, Um, that there are things that can help with symptom management, um, acupuncture being one. I was going to touch a little bit on the yoga, but it's not, I think acupuncture is um, definitely maybe the way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So tell us. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's going to be dependent for each person. So you're talking about managing a chronic pain condition. And that means that you have to find your sort of, for lack of a better way to put it, your perfect cocktail of things that you can utilize to help make it so that you can get through the day without popping, you know, a thousand milligrams of ibuprofen or, or whatever. Other things, or other things. Yeah. Are taking. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Harder, some, harder. Oh yeah. Some people have to use opioids for sure. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's, um, so it, it's, I think it's finding a variety of different things, whether it's meditation, yoga, acupuncture, massage, um, I, I don't know what the per- perfect cocktail is for each and every single person, but I know that there are certain things that seem to help a lot of the patients that I work with and, and also uh, were helpful for me. You know, um, acupuncture is awesome because we, we don't actually have a lot of research on acupuncture and endometriosis itself, mm-hmm. but we can look at, okay, well, we have a lot of really positive research showing that acupuncture helps to release endorphins. And we know endorphins are like the body's own painkillers, right? So if you're dealing with a chronic pain condition, it's going to be very helpful to increase those. Um, We also know that people who are dealing with chronic pain are often depressed uh, because it's not easy. And acupuncture increases dopamine and serotonin, and that's going to help people be able to get through the day um, and just live their lives a little bit more easily. We know it helps with hormone regulation. Seen that in like studies more on people with like perimenopause, but um, also a helpful component there and helps us. And we, you know, you, any acupuncturist you work with is going to see this very differently than the Western biomedical perspective. We're going to be looking at it from that East Asian medicine perspective of like, well, pain is caused by blood stasis, right? And we've got to move that blood stasis out and we're going to move people towards this sort of ideal menstrual cycle that we have in East Asian medicine, where it's like, you're changing a pad or a tampon or whatever you use for protection every four to five hours, bleeding for four to five days, no pain, no clots, you know, no PMS symptoms. What? And that's, I know, possible? I know. Right. So, um, the, the, that would be it's lovely. No, yeah. It's no wonder I got pregnant while I was in acupuncture school. Finally. Right. It's like, no, yeah. no wonder. Cause I got acupuncture literally every day, but right. Know, it's like, no, it's so true. That's right? awesome. Yeah. So, um, but you know, helps with that. Um, we do there. I remember when I was in school, there was this study that came out of China that showed that this point spleen six, that's like 
located sort of above your inner ankle bone mm-hmm. that that I'm familiar point, with that point yes you know that point it hurts uh, like a mother when you to get in there <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's I know a, it shouldn't hurt, but like, it's yeah, zingy. it zings. It's it's a it's a very. Um, I mean, it shouldn't be sharp, but it could be really achy for a lot of people oh, yeah. um, because it is such a immensely helpful point when we're talking about reproductive health. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also contraindicated in pregnancy. Just want to mention that, um, but they did this study in China where they were looking at dysmenorrhea. So like painful periods. And they found that within five minutes of that point being needle needled, people's pain decreased. Wow. So that's a pretty, you know, fantastic thing. And the, you know, we also have that Hollis protocol that comes from like an old study on IVF populations and looking at frozen embryo transfers that they used that, post-transfer to help decrease cramping. That was the idea that it would help Mm. decrease cramping. So, you know, all of those things come into play and we're talking about how can acupuncture be applied for someone who is dealing with uh, the pain of endometriosis, um, whether it's during the cycle or during Mm. your bleeding or at another point in your cycle. Um, And, you know, I think the other thing too, that's important for people to realize that it's not, it's not a one and done situation either. Um, one of my teachers in acupuncture school said for every month that somebody's had a condition, that's one treatment just to give you an idea. So oh, okay. if you're talking about something congenital, it's mm-hmm. probably going to be, you know, a little, little longer than that. Uh, but typically we can expect some sort of change within about three menstrual cycles. So whether that is um, maybe less clots, maybe bleeding is a little bit more controlled, maybe less PMS symptoms, all of those mm-hmm. things would be um, things we'd be looking for to yeah. start to see some slight little changes. I feel like that, like when, also with yoga, like, and any... I feel like mind body practice, like gradual tr- change is in my like lasting change, like it's right. a, is gone too quickly from like, you know, I don't think it's, it's um, going to be a lasting change. Like it'll come right. back just like that or right. whatever. So, and I know that in our world of instant gratification, Right. There's the need for like, where's the pill? I want to take the pill. Right. Just feel better. And I want to like be done with it. Um, but yeah, having to spend some time to make that meaningful change, I think is, is so key. Right. And we talked about that in yoga as well. Like you can't just come to one fertility yoga class and be like, I'm done. (laughs) Or like, (laughs) and it's same too. Like if, you get pregnant right after your fertility yoga class. It probably wasn't the fertility yoga class, yeah. you know, like <laughs> on both spectrums. Like, um, right, right. Like it's something that you you need. It's a practice, right? Like, right. It takes time. Things will change when it's meaningful and deep change. Right. It takes some time to get that momentum going, um, but then it can be very profound once you're right. Um, and I mean, I. I'm going to be going to acupuncture myself forever. You know, it's like, that's going to be part of my ongoing pain management cocktail for a long time. Yeah. 
because even after incision right operation it comes can come back right so my doctor says that if it was properly excised it should not come back okay. that is what he says like we got it all therefore it's we, gone yes and so it won't grow off of each other. right you know the the other aspect we haven't really talked about is like that the adenomyosis which you know that would be in the actual muscle of the uterus itself and so okay. that is where hysterectomy would be potentially something to look into and my doctor right. was like hey whenever if you want to do that, we've got that on the, you know, I can put you on the books really quickly for that. That's easy. And I'm like, that's quite the recovery. So we'll wait on that one. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a big choice. Like, oh yeah. Huge. It's not just like, we're just going to like, I don't know what other body part would you remove? Not about, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Even your, a gallbladder, I guess, you know, I mean, they somebody's having pain. Yeah. But I was uh, going to say like the tip of my pinky finger. I don't know. <laughs> Right. But yeah, I feel like anytime surgeons are like, oh, we'll just take it out. I'm like, right. pause, back up. <laughs> I'm like, before you start taking my body parts, I want to understand, like, is yeah. this the only way or right. like, something? Because I just had that too, but that's a whole other about my adrenal gland. So let's talk about removing hormonal things. Right. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Yep. So we'll have that conversation off air. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. But okay. So I wanted to talk just a, like insy bits about yoga. Cause I, I know it. that I have students that come to class who have endometriosis and they're always asking what, you know, what yoga poses should I do or things like that. So one of, and I think you've touched on it with this idea of like, um, congestion, right? Like pain, like pain is tight, right? When we think of things that are painful, like our body tightens up, we, we curl around it. We're trying to protect it. Right. So then things get even tighter and tighter and tighter. Cause we're not allowing enough oxygen and like good blood or oxygenated blood to move around and create space. So things can start to move and dissipate through the body. So I mean, for usually what I say is like, like really deep breathing is, can be very beneficial for pain management. Like I do it when I have menstrual cramps, I breathe deeply into the pain. Like I try and like blow up my uterus if I, that even makes sense. But this idea that I'm like, no, create all the space in the world down there so that you can, the pain can move. Right. And I find that to be very helpful. So deep, full breaths, deep down into the, the pelvis and the rib cage and like getting the intercostal muscles moving that also will activate the vagus nerve, these deep breaths, which are calming, um, for our bodies and physiology and mental, emotional. Um, and then as far as poses go, um, you know, <laughs> like what pose would be the best pose for endometriosis? And I've heard like, um, again, I like to go with the option of space, right? Like let's create space where you have the pain. So, um, like a semi-reclined Vatakanasana, right? With the feet together, knees apart. Nobody can see me. I'm doing this on camera, but, um, <laughs> so semi-reclined 
feet together, knees fall out to the side, and then maybe putting like, like a, a hot water bottle or something warm, like in and around the pelvis. Um, and then what do you think about like pressure? When like I, massage, yeah. like I know massage can be helpful for cramps, but endometriosis, where right. it's a little bit of a different beast, right? So once again, I, yeah, I think it's once again, very dependent upon the person, give it a try. Right. And if it, if it does not work or if that time it, you know, unless your doctor has told you to stay away from that there, you know, there's no reason not to give it a shot. I mean, I, I like castor oil packs and I like to mix moxa in with it. And I like to massage the castor oil all over my belly and like, you know, wrap myself up and, and, you know, be nice and toasty and warm. Um, you know, and there's, there's all sorts of other pain management strategies that people can throw into the mix, like TENS units and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. But yeah, yeah, massage, I think is a great, uh, potential part of the cocktail. I'm just yeah. going to keep using that analogy. So <laughs> yeah, cause I love it. Like I, like when I have some cramps, I will lie belly down with a bolster yeah. right over my pelvis. And like, and when I get up, my, my cramps are gone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it really depends on the person for sure. You know, and some people may find that, you know, it's not going to completely get rid of it, but maybe it just takes it down a notch. So it's all just finding like the little things that take it down a notch until you're at a point where you're able to function. Yeah. 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 I know. Crazy. The things we deal with. <laughs> I know. Or I didn't, but you have. Um, but who knows? I like I get menstrual cramps. I always have. And well, like we- in high school, I there were days where I was just like rolled up in a corner and they would send me home and stuff. Um, it became more manageable like the older I got, but I was taking, they gave me like some pretty heavy duty painkillers that we called them the blue, the blue horse pills. I should probably say this, but, um, but yeah, my friends would be like, Oh, can I have one? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, cause you would take one and you'd be like, woo, like total body stone because yeah. your whole body was just like Maria. Um, this is when I was young, everybody. Um, yeah, now they, now they don't, now they're almost too hesitant to give out, uh, pain medications and that can be challenging too. Um, but I think, you know, I think to your point, like the, I hope as a society, we can look at the difference between common and normal. Like Mm -hmm. it's might be common to have menstrual cramps, but is it normal? Normal. Well, right now everybody thinks it's just normal to have. Right. And I know like certain things I do during the month, like reduce sugar like right. reducing inflammation, basically. My cramps are not bad. Right. So I don't know. I'm like, well, then maybe I should just not eat so much sugar. And I don't eat a ton. But um, but yeah, like there are things that we can do to help manage our hormone. But yeah, what's common? I mean, I, you know, I have a whole bunch of thyroid stuff going right. on, autoimmune things. And it's like, oh, well, you know, so many people have thyroid conditions like right. that's supposed to make me feel better and that 
you know, misery loves company maybe a little bit, but um, yeah, just because people are getting it more doesn't mean it's normal. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So much, so much to talk about. There is. Right. I feel like we've covered our main topics. Okay. So anything else you want to say? I don't know. I'm like, is there, is there anything else I should have said? I don't know. Wow. Did you, did you so. want to talk about some of, I mean, I guess we didn't really totally get into the myths just like a little bit. Oh, the myths of Indo. Yeah. We okay, kind of touched talk, on. Well, we talked, talked on the retrograde. The retrograde is, well, it's the just bunk. my, not my favorite theory. That's for sure. But, um, that it goes away after menopause. That's a fun one. Oh, it doesn't go away doesn't go away friends doesn't okay. go away that's um and yeah. i'm imagining perimenopause might be a little more extreme well and if you know if, um, some people might be supplementing with hormones too and that might actually increase symptoms so um that's a common myth that it goes away with pregnancy is a common myth mm-hmm. um trying to think about any other ones i guess that it's only during the period or that it's only in the abdomen. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about that the hysterectomy would completely cure it, and that's not true. You have to actually go after the lesions themselves. Yep. At least that's what it looks like right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are the big ones, I think. But yeah, the the menopause one I know was surprising to me when I started to learn about. Yeah, but it makes sense that it wouldn't just disappear. Right. Too. Right. Right. Like it's not like you said, like, yes, it's this like of similar tissue, but not, right. you know, just because your periods stop doesn't mean that all that and like all of it just flushes away. Right. right? It's still there and right. it's still sensitive hormones. Right. Is that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you had a couple pieces of advice. And it's not like unsolicited, <laughs> of course. <laughs> right, right. But if anybody's listening, like, hmm. So if you had just like, you know, any advice that you would want to give or like reflection of, you know, how how we can move forward and deal uh, with well, endometriosis as a whole. <laughs> I think, you know we have to fight for better diagnosis and care. And right now we don't have that. And I think, you know, my, my biggest takeaway from my journey with endometriosis is that I wish I had pushed harder and found different doctors sooner because I think that, um, there, it might've taken a long time because there weren't that many people, you know, excisions still kind of hard to find right now, even these days. So um, I wish I had pushed and said, this isn't normal and I want to go see someone else. And if that person didn't want to listen, I want to go see yeah. someone else. Like if because, your gut, your gut is telling you something is yes. more wrong than what your OBGYN is saying, well, not necessarily, well, maybe gaslit, but like dismissive. Dismissive. Yeah, I definitely. 
if they're dismissive of you sitting down and going, here's all of my symptoms, here's how often I'm in pain, here's how much pain medication I'm taking. If they're dismissive of that and it doesn't feel like that's normal to you, keep pushing and find a doctor who will listen and will try to get you the care that you need. Okay. So I also, I know that many of my students are in the Boston area. So yeah. Would you be willing to sort of drop some contact for um, doctors or resources in Boston that you know? Yeah. We actually have an endometriosis center now. We do. Or you we do, do. we do in Boston, in Boston now. Anymore. Yep. Where my surgeon, uh, it's in, in Waltham, oddly enough, but affiliated with Mount Auburn hospital, Mount Auburn. um, okay. Dr. McKenzie, Dr. Chatburn, and, um, trying to think of the, the third gentleman. I met him when he was a fellow, but he trained under, uh, the other two. So we now have three a care center. That's three. That's amazing. Three. Yeah. That's and awesome. then, um, yeah, and then Dr. Gargiulo at Brigham and Women's is considered a, a very um, good endometriosis care specialist. And he happens to also be a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, so well, that's a nice, handy mm-hmm. combination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just going to say a big thank you for spending no. time with me. I miss you. I, I know. I could hang out with you more. I did get to I see know. you though in the flesh. Not yes. Ago, so that was nice. Um, <laughs> although I did not get any acupuncture or massage because you couldn't fit I in know. your schedule. I know. <laughs> um, on that point, right, I'm going to put all your information. Also, Heather offers this thing called the total reset. Mm-mm-mm, the best thing ever. <laughs> it is acupuncture, massage, Reiki, and cranial sacral therapy rolled into a two hour session, right? Two hours? Yes. Yes. Two, well, two and a half if you're a new patient, because I have to do an intake, but yes, two so, hours of um, fabulousness. I was your guinea pig when you were coming up with mm-hmm. the um, concepts. And I was like, no, I think you need to work on it a little more. <laughs> so <I have> another <laughs> session. No, no, I didn't like that transition between <laughs> acupuncture and Reiki. I think we should go back and try it again. <laughs> yeah. No, it was... Um, I mean, I would leave like, and then we'd go up for lunch and I just would be like staring at you drooling. (laughs) You can't drive. I'm going to pick you up. (laughs) But, um, but yes, very talented in all the things that you do and offer and give so much love and hope to so many people. Because I know that I refer so many students to you and they're always like, oh, Heather. So, um, So thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Carrie. I appreciate it. All right. I am going to sign. Okay, here we go. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. If you have any thoughts or comments, feel free to email me directly at fertilebodyyoga at gmail.com. If you have a topic that you'd like to explore, I'm always open to new ideas. Wishing you all the magic in what is to come.